This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rendy. In this episode, I welcome on Dr. Jody Stanislaw, who is one of my colleagues that I've known for nearly 20 years. You can find her at Jody, drjodynd.com. That's drjodynd.com. Dr. Stanislaw is a type 1 diabetes expert. She specifically helps people get in control of their blood sugars. Type 1 diabetes is a condition that is very difficult to deal with. Um, the blood sugar management aspect of it is the most critical aspect of it. And as a type 1 diabetic herself, Dr. Jody has taken it upon herself to have a mission in helping educate people on how to navigate the terrain of blood sugar management. She does this through online courses and consulting, and she's been so gracious today to share with us some of the insight that she has on this topic. We go through various discussions related to the differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, what it's like to live with type 1 diabetes on a day-to-day basis, the various factors that impact blood, blood sugar control, and various tips that you can you can take away from this discussion on related to how to manage blood, blood sugar control. She talks about technology that's been emerging, such as continuous glucose monitors. We also go into the various emerging therapies for type 1 diabetes. We touch upon the psychological aspects of living with a chronic illness like type 1 diabetes. And Dr. Jody shares insight related to her platforms that she uses to teach people to feel more empowered, some of her courses and her consulting that she does. She shares with us some insight on on how people can get involved with that. So please follow um, some of her teachings and her online uh, links by looking at the links below and and follow her socials. You'll see many links in our show descriptions. Also, if you like our episode, um, you like what we're doing here at the One Thing Podcast, please subscribe or click like. That would be most helpful for, for us to continue to grow this platform. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome you into the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Uh, we join the conversation in session. I have one diabetes specialist, and that is what I have become. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I saw you in action doing this specialty even when we were students. I remember we were out at a um, like a country clinic doing rotations out in um, like uh, the the east side, way out in yes. Fall City area, Carnation. Yeah, I remember. And we that. were, yeah, yeah, and we were seeing a lot of diabetes come through our door, and uh, just seeing you um, in action getting these people in line was like, I was like, wow. I mean, you were, you were delivering the goods back then. <laughs> oh, wow. Thanks for that little memory. I completely forgot about that. Thank you. Yes. I'm yeah. obviously very passionate about it. That the majority of people in 
the diabetes world have type two diabetes. And so I want to explain the difference between type one and type two, because they're very, very different. And I, but they have obviously similarities. So, um, and I remember there was a lot of type twos at that clinic. I can't remember yeah. it, like Carnival, Carnation or Duval or something like that, maybe. Carnation, yes. Yeah. Snow Valley Clinic, I think. It's yes, called. exactly. And yeah. so what is going on in type 2 diabetes, which is what 20, 30 million people in the U.S. have, and then so many have prediabetes, is really a wear and tear of the system to be able to balance blood sugar. Um, there is many factors that go into people having type two, but a major contrib contribution, of course, is a poor diet, being obese, not exercising, basically not giving our machine the fuel that it needs or the care that it needs. So I always try to empower type twos that this is not so much disease as, it, I mean, there are aspects of it, yes, but it has a lot to do with, I want to empower them to be like, you're just actually not fueling this machine properly. Just like you can't expect your unleaded gasoline car to run if you put diesel in it, right? You can't expect a body to function if you're eating lots of sugar, lots of processed foods, lots of chemicals, no vegetables, no good proteins, you know, um, poor quality carbohydrates and poor quality fats. The body's not going to function well. So type two has a lot. Now it's much more complex. Toxicities have a huge huge um, play in that, how toxic people's worlds are, for example, because obese people without high toxicities are actually often not at a high risk of type twos. If you think of like um, Eskimos, for example, like they, it's not a high type two, right? They're eating a clean diet. Um, so toxicities have a lot to do with the onset of type two. But again, that has a lot to do with lifestyle, right? So we know the sad diet in America, right? The standard American diet is not ideal to have the body thrive. So I always like to empower type twos that you're just kind of out of alignment with taking care of your machine, what it needs. So that is type two. So when the body has to manage an excessive amount of sugar, the body has to make an excessive amount of insulin. And guess what? Anything that gets overused in the body wears out right? We get, if we play too much tennis, we get tennis elbow. If you run too much, you know, you might get your knees to be hurting or whatever, right? So if you eat and eat and eat and eat all the sugar, you know, we got fast food and we have, you know, frappuccino, whatever's with mocha, caramel, and we've got our Pepsi and Mountain Dew. All those things aren't real food, right? Those are made up things as I call those products, not food. And so then the body has to make insulin, make insulin, make insulin, because all of those unhealthy foods are dumping an extraordinary amount of sugar into the bloodstream. And to get sugar out of the bloodstream, the body has to make insulin. So if you overdose the body with sugar for years, you're going to overwork your body's ability to make insulin. And now a patient with type 2, their body's sick and tired of making insulin. It's just kind of worn out. So thus the blood sugar levels remain high. And high blood sugar levels cause heart disease, kidney failure, strokes, gangrene, Alzheimer's, you know, number one cause for losing limbs and kidney transplants. And so high blood sugar in the blood is not healthy. Think of it as like little shrouds, you know, little pieces of glass circulating through the bloodstream, ripping apart, causing inflammation in the, in the arterial walls. Not a good picture. So... The good news about type twos is with the right lifestyle 
interventions, they can really get back to their body's ability to keep the blood sugar level in a normal range when they start taking care of the machine the way we need to be taken care of. That's type two. That's what so many people come up to me and be like, oh yeah, my grandma got that or my grandpa got that or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Type one is an autoimmune condition. All autoimmune diseases, what happens is the immune system thinks it needs to attack something and kill something. So when I was seven, I was a healthy kid running around. And then within a few days, I started getting really thirsty and losing a ton of weight and wetting my bed and going to the bathroom all the time and, and so hungry, but so, so tired. My body, for some reason, like, could be genetic plus environmental trigger. That's most likely the cause in all autoimmune diseases, which are also like MS is an autoimmune disease. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. It's when the body suddenly starts attacking self, attacking the cells that you need. And so I'm seven years old and my body starts attacking the cells that make insulin. And the body's incredibly resilient. You can still function no symptoms when you have only 50% of your insulin producing cells left even 60% or only 40% left, only 30% left, you actually don't start having symptoms until maybe you have 20 to 10% left. Mm. And then, so we're now learning that you can actually find people at high risk and see if they're on this trajectory. You can see if there's autoimmune destruction way before symptoms show up now, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. So, so what you're referring to is like the uh, beta cell reserve. Is that is that what you're exactly beta, beta cells are what make insulin and they are what are attacked and killed in type one diabetes. Okay. That is really fascinating. Cause you know, I know there's a big genetic risk, um, for type one diabetic diabetic. So you're saying that, um, the, the newer approaches might be to screen children, um, at an earlier age as to, when their beta cells might be declining to help them with an easier on-ramp to managing type Exactly. One. Yes. There are, um, there are many studies looking into how to prolong the life of the residual beta cells. And they even cause it. There's like three phases now. Phase one is somebody has been found to have two of the five autoantibodies associated with type one, but no symptoms and perfect blood sugar levels. Phase two is you have two or more autoantibodies, but you're starting to have high blood sugar levels, but you're still not symptomatic. And phase three is you've been diagnosed as type one. So this, this on this, this, you know, this, um, there's a long process. I didn't just have my immune system attack my beta cells on Monday. And then I got sick on Tuesday, you know, now they're learning that they can pick those up. So any, any siblings of, of a child with type 1 diabetes should get tested for these autoantibodies. You can just ask for the type 1 diabetes autoantibody panel. And then there's a lot of studies wanting to enroll people with these autoantibodies to see what percentage of them are actually turning into type 1s and, and aren't. I actually, this is a whole different podcast topic, but I have a beta cell preservation protocol where I've taken people that have the positive autoantibodies, put them on my protocol, and have not been diagnosed. So that's huge, <laughs> huge. Um, now, the older you are, the slower the antibody attack generally is. Uh, there's two different kind of subcategories of type 1 diabetes now. There's the classic juvenile type 1, um, 
you know, anywhere from six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, maybe up to teens. That autoimmune attack is generally a lot more aggressive than this new phase of all these adults being diagnosed with autoimmune diabetes. And I have patients that are 30, 40, 50, and 60 that are, quote, newly diagnosed. So it's harder for physicians now to realize that an overweight 50-year-old could actually have autoimmune diabetes. It's so easy to immediately think an overweight 50-year-old is just type 2 and needs an oral medication. But actually, you have to look for the autoantibodies and realize that the beta cell destruction is going to be probably a lot faster. Because beta cell destruction in type 2 takes decades. Beta cell destruction in type 1, because beta cell destruction in type 2 is not, is not an active, right? The beta cells are just wearing out. But in type 1, it's an active attack by the immune system. So um, I want to just, just correct one thing that you said. There's only 16% of type 1s that have a first-degree family member with type 1. So mm. there is a degree of genetic risk, but it seems that it's what's much more likely with all autoimmune diseases is there are environmental triggers. Um, viruses, if you've had COVID, your risk of COVID, of getting type 1 goes up. Um, toxicities, low vitamin D. Um, there's a lot of theories about the environment really messing with our immune system. Think of gut inflammation. Think of all the pesticides and chemicals we eat in our food. And the immune system primarily lies in the gut, right? All those cells are in the gut. So you upset the gut and you upset the immune system. Oh, autoimmune diseases are on the rise. Big surprise, right? So that's a very long explanation, but I think it's very important to really distinct, make the distinction between what is type one autoimmune destruction, environmentally triggered, not so much about diet as much as inflammation and things that are irritating the immune system, versus type two. Type two, there's millions, tens of millions. Type one in the US, about 1.5. There's only about 1.5 mm. of people in the US with type one, mm. so much smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you've already talked a little bit about this, but it would be really good for me and for our audience to learn, learn about what the daily life is mm. for a type one diabetic. like. What is sort of, what's the routine? What's the mindset? What's the, what's the lens that you're looking through the world that you feel like is different than someone who doesn't have type one diabetes? Thank you for that very important question. I look like a very healthy person and I travel the world and I ride my bike and I hike Mount Rainier and I live by myself in Croatia, you know, all these things that I've done. And I like to say that I also have a full-time job of taking care of my diabetes. Um, it's an invisible disease. Uh, people have no idea how many thoughts I have going through my head every day with what my blood sugar levels are doing. Because my body does not make any insulin anymore, my beta cell war, I lost it. My beta cells are all gone. My body doesn't make insulin. If I didn't inject insulin, every single day since I was seven, if I just stopped injecting insulin, I'd be dead in a few weeks, maybe two months if I'm lucky. And I'd feel super sick in the next, I'd feel super sick within 24 hours if I stopped taking insulin. And then I would just slowly die. <laughs> so it's a full-time job. So I have to 
work hard to make sure my blood sugar level stays in this little tight, narrow range. And if you're, as soon as I eat, I need insulin. Even when I don't eat, I need insulin because the liver actually secretes glucose into our blood 24 hours a day. It kind of is like this backup fuel source for us. Um, so the liver is always putting glucose out. And guess what? The body needs insulin just to function anyways. It's an essential hormone. Um, so I actually did a seven day water fast once and I decreased my insulin so much to make sure my blood sugar level was normal. But in retrospect, I realized I felt so sick, not just because I was detoxing from the fast, but I probably was kind of in this, what's called a diabetic keto acid state, um, which is very unhealthy and, and lethal. <laughs> so I was only down to two units of insulin a day when I was doing this seven day water fast. So I realized that I was only focused on what my blood sugar level was. And that's how I decided to get down to two units. But I think my body actually needed more insulin just to function. Uh, so if I were to ever do that again, I'd probably like drink fruit juice and, and take maybe five or six units because insulin is essential. You need it in the background and you need more of it when you eat. So you can either take insulin injections or you can have an insulin pump. Um, I support patients that are on either. Um, people are always surprised to find out that I'm not on a pump because they see it as more advanced, but it's just a different form of delivery if you want it constantly dripping into you or not. And so you need a background dose, which is uh, you've got to make sure you have the right dose that doesn't make your sugar level go too low or too high, right? Because we're always, we need to keep our blood sugar level in this tight, narrow range. But if we don't take insulin, we're just going to eat and it's just going to go up, 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 up and kill us. So we can't, we must take insulin when we eat to avoid the highs. Cause as I said, they increase heart disease, kidney failure, strokes. You don't want high blood sugar. It's bad. But if you take too much insulin, then you have a low blood sugar, right? Insulin's job is to take the glucose out of the blood, feed it to the cells. So you don't give enough insulin, the blood sugar level goes up, you give too little insulin, and now too much sugar is taken out of the blood, and your brain is dependent on glucose from the blood feeding it at every minute. If you take too much glucose out, you pass out, you have a seizure, and you can die. So, and I've had, I've known type ones who died from taking too much insulin. So it's dangerous immediately if your sugar level goes too low, because you took too much insulin. And it's dangerous in the long run if you go too high. You don't want either one. So you need to be in this little tight range. And guess what? Everything changes your blood sugar. If you didn't get enough sleep, if you have an apple, if you want a latte, if you want breakfast, if you want lunch, if you want dinner, if you're PMSing, if you get sick and you have a flu or you get COVID, if you gain weight, if you lose weight, if you exercise, all of those things have to be taken into account. It's not just, oh, I ate a Snickers bar. <laughs> if it was that simple, it'd be so nice. No. People are like, here, Jody, you want a banana? I'm like, no, I can't eat unplanned fruit, right? A banana spikes my blood sugar level immediately. Insulin, when you dose it, takes at least 15 to 30 minutes to start working. So I can't spontaneously eat anything with sugar, be it healthy sugar or unhealthy. Like I can't just randomly eat a banana. I have to plan to eat a banana. I can't randomly have a soy milk latte if the soy milk has sugar in it. I have to pre-dose for it. 
And then every time I eat, I have to figure out the math of how much this meal is going to raise my blood sugar. And then I need to figure out the timing of how much and when to give the insulin. So this is not an easy job. And I spend hours training people. I do virtual you know, appointments with people all over the world to help them figure out how do you dose this, right? You have to dose differently every day. If you want a big breakfast, if you want a little breakfast, if you want oatmeal, if you want a scrambled egg, all of those can raise your blood sugar, but in a different way. So I should take a deep breath on that. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is uh, so insightful. I mean, the one thing that came up when you were explaining this was uh, thinking about insulin. Is there anything else that we should know about that it does other than blood sugar regulation that's sort of essential for body, body function? Um. I'm embarrassed to admit, but you know, does it have other functions in the body? Does it do more than balance my blood sugar level every time I inject it? Uh, I know that no, no, no hormone can work independently. You know, the whole body is this community, but in my world, all I think of is insulin is managing my blood sugar because that's the number one focus for it. That's how I dose it. I certainly don't dose it based on anything except blood sugar. If it's doing other things in my body at the same time, probably, but I don't focus on them because the number one focus is to stay healthy with diabetes, you need good blood sugar levels. And to get good blood sugar levels, you need to know how to dose your insulin properly. And it only, the dose only depends on blood sugar. That makes sense. If there was one myth about type one diabetes or one just sort of colloquial belief that people have walking around that you could squash for good, what would it be? Uh, that an insulin pump will solve all your problems. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. People look at me and they're like, well, why are you on the pump? They think that once you just hook up to the pump, then you somehow miraculously have perfect blood sugar levels. Now the pump's supposed to figure it out. Now, up until a couple years ago, there were zero pumps with any brain. You can't just hook up to the insulin and the pump knows what to do. However, having said that, a very exciting advancement in the past couple years is the pumps actually can kind of read your blood sugar now. And if they see you having a low blood sugar, at, you know, they actually can suspend delivery of insulin. And if they see you kind of going up, they can actually increase. Now, there's still a lot of manual involvement with the patient. They're not brilliant at that. I mean, if they were only, if the only thing you did was have your pump manage your blood sugar and you did nothing else, I would probably give your overall blood sugars a D plus or a C minus. It would kind of help you out, but it doesn't completely take my responsibility off the charts. Mm. Um, so that that's one. Um, the other one is it's easy. Uh, no, there's nothing easy. It's kind of like I always it's like you have a child that never grows up. You have a special needs child. I have to bring my little diaper bag everywhere I go, right? My diaper bag has my insulin in it, my syringes in it, my glucose tabs in it, my continuous glucose monitor in it, maybe some backup insulin if I'm traveling, some backup supplies if I'm traveling. You don't go anywhere in the world without all your supplies. And guess what? It's also a 24-hour job. 
So I was uh, running this women's health retreat with a girlfriend of mine in Mexico a couple of years ago, and she and I were sharing a room. And my glucose meter kept beeping in the middle of the night, which meant I was either having a low blood sugar or a high blood sugar. And this girlfriend's known me for 20 years. And she goes, Jody, she goes, I had no idea you had to manage your blood sugar level while you slept. I'm like, uh, yeah, diabetes doesn't go away when you fall asleep, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's so many factors all day long affecting blood sugar and you have to be educated and have really good support to know how to manage all of them. And that's what I provide. Hmm. Yeah, I imagine, you know, you're in like a very small percentile of people that's really as pulling kind of all in like you are as far as having your diet and lifestyle and and your your management um sort of you know it's sort of like you set the bar um i imagine there's all different levels of people entering into this path um the the amount of healing or you know sort of psychological or medical trauma that must Need, need to be pulled back and layers to get to before someone's ready just to kind of engage in this lifestyle it must be palpable. I really appreciate you bring that up. Uh, there is a center in San Diego. I think it's called the, um, oh, I should know I'm blanking right now. Uh, but it's basically, you know, Diabetes Psychology Institute. You know, we're here to help anybody with diabetes and their emotional health. And I think I learned about this center I don't know, somewhere in my 20s or 30s. And I I literally started crying with joy in a sense mm-hmm. that somebody was addressing this topic. And I was a very, you know, high achiever, you know, that was what drove me and I wanted to be a good kid and I was well-behaved teenager and I just was wired to want to please people and do the right thing, right? And of course, there's pros and cons to that kind of personality. (laughs) But if you're diabetic, it's a really good thing to have, right? Like I was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to get this and I want to do it well and I want to get it right. Well, so here I am at seven years old doing my own shots and measuring my own food and weighing and measuring my bread and counting my blueberries and, you know, doing what I was told. and, And I don't think it was until... Nobody had ever asked me, hey, Joe, you know, this is a big, a big burden to carry. How are you doing with it? Are you, is it hard when none of your other friends have to weigh and measure their bread? And is it hard when nobody else has to, you know, get a needle out and poke themselves before a meal? And do you feel alone? And do you feel scared, you know, about these complications that could come? I mean, nobody had that conversation with me ever. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, here I am decades into diabetes and I read about, there's a whole Institute that's dedicated to the psych. And I was like, I didn't even know I needed it until, mm-hmm. you know, and so now it's, it is much more prevalent, but I still think it's not included in the majority of care. The majority, I mean, the reason why I have people from 10 countries, you know, thousands and thousands of people following me is because the majority of even endocrinologists who are supposed to be the experts in type one diabetes are not giving good care to people with type one. Um, they're not getting the emotional support. They're not even getting the educational support. Um, I just did a, a continuing ed 
conference last week and I um, learned that, let's see, where's my, my, only less than below 30% of type ones have healthy blood sugars, less than 30%. So that means 70%, 700, 800,000 type ones in the U.S have blood sugar levels every day that are damaging their heart and their kidneys and their eyes. Almost a million type ones are out of control. And so I'm on a mission to, I have, you know, private programs. I have online courses. I have an amazing membership program where you get a live video with me for 30 minutes once a week. There's a huge problem in type ones, it's very complex. It's a full-time job that you never can quit or grow out of. And yet most people don't have even the education to thrive or the emotional support they need. And they're like, you know what? So many people say, I'm not even gonna try to get good blood sugar to levels because even when I try, I feel like I'm a failure. So it makes more sense for me to just be a failure and not try. I hear that all the time. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, it's, you, you, you feel hopeless, at, you know, um, in, in a pursuit of something, if, um, if you're not getting the goal, right. Um, yes. And if exactly. you, if you, if you hear over and over, you know, you could do better, you need to do better. I mean, I think certain, certain people respond to that in a way that they take it on like a competitive challenge and they, 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 feed off that and other people it crushes exactly and that doesn't mean anything about their personality or that they have any flaws or anything it's just we're all wired different and mm -hmm. you know if, if you have like something like a number like you see it all the time even with blood pressures too yeah. you know people people are told to get their blood pressure into a, a range and they come into the office and it stresses them out and they yeah. feel like a failure yeah but um, yeah, so I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think the, um, the loneliness of having a chronic illness that's serious and life-threatening um, and um, is, is, you know, we're missing the boat if we're not addressing these other aspects and these other levels of, of care. And I'm glad that um, there's, there's a place for people, at least in the San Diego, and I'm sure there's others. Um, but, uh, well, there's, so I mean, that's the, what I offer online. I mean, I, I have this beautiful membership program where they do a 30 minute, I do, I go live like this 30 minutes once a week, all the recordings are there. And we talk about everything. I educate them on how to get better blood sugar levels. We talk about the emotional. It's like, you can tune in anytime you want. It's, it's, it's wonderful. 30 minutes live yeah. once a week and all the other videos recorded. So, um, in preparation for hearing some of your insight on blood sugar management, I had a salmon and greens for breakfast. So I oh, hope good. that I, and I, I do want to get good grades. So oh, um, good. <laughs> I, I want to hear how that one is and, and maybe you can unpack that breakfast for us and maybe just give us a little bit of like highlights of the kinds of strategies you use in your, your online teachings your courses and your uh, practice just about blood sugar management. Okay. So let me just step back a little bit first. Um, 
there's what I see is core training that every type one needs because unfortunately the, the, um, paradigm is I'm your doctor and I'm going to tell you how to manage your diabetes. Right. And guess what? That doesn't work. Imagine if I wanted to be a captain of a sailboat and I'm out in the ocean sailing my boat. And the only way I could get help would be to call my teacher and be like, so there's a tornado or there is a swell or there's, you know, I'm not in deep enough water. Imagine that every time you had a problem, you'd have to wait until your teacher was available to tell you how to get out of your problem. It's too late when you're living and you're having type one and you are at, you know, your high blood sugar is going on right now. You, you can't call help. You, you need to be the captain. You need to be like, mm -hmm. okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're in the middle of this high blood sugar and this is why it happened. This is what I can do differently next time. So there's foundational teachings and I want to empower everybody to be like, I want you to not need me eventually, unless you just like the community and you want emotional support and you want motivation. In terms of education, we as type ones need to be empowered with the education of how to manage all this, right? And that is not the paradigm. The paradigm is, okay, call me if you need to make any changes and here are some basic formulas to use. Good luck, right? Mm -hmm. that, is, that is what type ones get and it's not enough. So there's some basic foundational things like how to dose your long acting, how to dose for different meals and how to dose in the morning. So your scenario, there's a couple different things I have in my mind to think about. First of all, is your background insulin set correctly to deal with the natural rise in blood sugar that tends to happen in every human body, regardless of what you eat for breakfast, okay? Mm -hmm. In the type one world, we call it the dawn phenomenon. Um, every body has... Uh, their liver starts releasing glucose into the bloodstream around 3, 4, 5 a.m. And there's a slow rise until about 8 or 9. And this is just cortisol doing its job, giving you extra fuel to start your day. Well, in you guys that don't have diabetes, you don't even know this is going on. <laughs> mm -hmm. For us... It, I just see my blood sugar going up It's and I'm not eating. It's just going up. So we need to make sure, first of all, that either your pump is dialed in to manage that, your pump delivery goes up, or if you're on shots, you're going to have to do a manual shot of some sort, right? Because a lot of people will say, I didn't eat anything for breakfast and I was super high by 11. And I'll be like, well, this is why. So when we're talking breakfast dosing, that's the first thing is, is your, now, of course, it's never that easy because the cortisol release is not the same from day to day. And how do you manage that? But that's a whole nother story. Um, nothing in type one is easy or simple. <laughs> um, but now you're telling me you're not having any carbs for breakfast. You're having greens and salmon. You might not need any insulin if you were a type one. However, when you're in that morning period and there's all that cortisol being released, we're naturally more resistant to insulin. So our insulin resistance is higher in the morning. 
So this breakfast time, now you're eating salmon and greens. Certain people do see a rise in blood sugar with protein. It seems to be greater in people that generally follow low carb more often because the body is brilliant. Its favorite fuel source is glucose, but think about it. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. There are essential amino acids. There's essential fatty acids, which means you must get them from your diet. There's actually no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. So that's because the body knows how to make carbohydrates. If you ate keto, right? If you ate uh, protein, the body still knows how to get fuel. The body even knows how to take amino acids like from salmon and turn them into glucose. So you, from your own personal experience, would have to track your blood sugar level if you were type one after you had salmon and see, is your body in the mindset of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, the, the more you generally restrict carbs, the better the body becomes at turning amino acids, protein into glucose because it has to. But if you're somebody that's always eating, you know, 30, 40, 50 grams of carb in every meal, and then you suddenly decide to have salmon, you probably won't need to dose for it. The salmon probably won't raise your blood sugar. Um, this is kind of a, you know, just like when people switch to keto, there's that, you know, transition period where they feel kind of sick because the body's transitioning its its functionality, if you will, to mm -hmm. start using ketones as a fuel source. But that doesn't happen overnight. So that's how kind of are you somebody that that the body gets really good at turning glucose, turning protein into glucose or not? So I don't know if you would need to dose for the protein in your salmon or not. If you're a type one and telling me, hey, I want to have salmon now for breakfast. Am I going to need to dose for it? I would just say eat the salmon and see if your blood sugar goes up. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's an excellent choice in terms of not wanting to, you know, spike your blood sugar. I mean, the worst thing in the world for a type one diabetic is like a fruit cocktail and a glass of orange juice. That's mm. just like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, so there's like strategies. It sounds like it's highly individualized because um, you, what, what might spike one person is not going to spike the next person. When it comes to protein, um, not true for like, a fruit, like a banana, a banana is going to spike everybody, but sure. When it comes to protein, it, it won't be, it's not as universal. And, but that's a good point though. Some people need one unit of insulin to cover seven grams of carbohydrate. Some people need one unit of insulin to cover 20 grams of carbohydrate. So it's all individualized. Everybody, and guess what? You will need more insulin during your cortisol time in the morning for the same 15 gram apple then if you ate the 15 grams of carb apple at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., then you won't have insulin resistance going on, so you won't need a whole unit, right? So it's very individualized. Okay, and, you know, you mentioned how even deeper to that is the fact that, you know, things can throw off the cortisol even further, such as, like, infections, um, travel, mm. loss of sleep, those types <laughs> yeah. of things, so... And you're helping people navigate that as well. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a lot of work. Yeah. But I just want to show you, um, this is my continuous glucose monitor. And I get a little adrenaline-y when I do talks, right? So I have a little adrenaline going on. So my sugar level will go up when I have adrenaline. Mm 
So this is still to 99% of type ones, a very healthy number. But right now I am 135. That's okay. my blood sugar. And this black line right here is what my blood sugar level has been the past four hours. And then I can click it and go back. Now that's all the mm -hmm. way back to 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. And now that's all the way back to last night. So mm -hmm. I am, you know, very, I, my goal is to be in this gray, gray, gray area, which is very small, as you can see on this mm -hmm. graph. And look at how sad this is. It goes up to 400 because a lot of type ones, their blood sugar, like is you know, it's like all over the place all day long. Yeah. Up, down, up, down. Yeah. So my goal is to keep it as tight right here as possible. And I'm mm -hmm. looking at this thing. I'm looking at this thing all, oh, 136. So I might take a unit of insulin right now because I'm not coming down. So I look at that thing all day long, all day long. And I'm going to just give myself a little shot because I have adrenaline going on. And I'm going to go like this. And I'm going to go like this. So I have to keep looking at that thing all day long because a little bit of adrenaline, then I want an apple, then I want a latte, but then I'm going to go on a walk, everything. you got to kind of, it's like a child. Like I said, like mm -hmm. I'm taking care of this 24 hours a day and um, it's just kind of a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, and uh, that spike started like around the time, you know, this uh, webinar kicked was uh, launching and and so um, the impact of just kind of being live and presenting can can do that yes um, and to be honest so that, uh, I had like a one of those perfect bars you know they've got peanut butter and mm -hmm. honey oh yeah right and so that isn't necessarily low carb because it's got a lot of honey in it but it's got a lot of protein and fat in it so um it's a slow and steady rise. And I had that about two hours ago. So that's probably still digesting as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, with the other aspects such as sleep and, and exercise, what are your general philosophies about those aspects in care? Well, as a holistic physician, I, I love helping people really grasp the power involved of what I call the four pillars of health. Um, you know, I want to help people get good blood sugar levels, but if they don't have the four pillars of health dialed in, then we just got to start there. And that is good sleep, healthy food, exercise, and healthy emotional health, right? Your mental, your sleep, exercise, and food. That's the four, like the four legs of a bar stool, right? We've got to get those stable. And you can lose a, two or three hours of sleep and you're going to be more insulin resistant all day the next day. You're going to need more insulin. You're going to tend to have higher blood sugar levels. You're going to have to raise your blood, your, your, you know, your, your basal, your background insulin and take more at mealtime. You're going to have higher blood sugar levels after you don't sleep well. Um, same with exercise. If you, well, the opposite, right? When you exercise, your body is more efficient. It's so much more efficient. You don't need as much insulin. Your, your, your muscles are strong. Muscles can eat up glucose and they don't need insulin to do it. So even if I had more muscle mass than I did a year ago, 
when I sleep, my body will be burning up considerably more glucose at night in the absence of needing insulin than it did a year ago. Muscle tissue likes to eat up glucose. So the more muscle you have, as well as the more, you know, if you do daily or every other day workouts, you're also tuning your body into just being a more efficient machine. You know, like if you don't drive a car for a couple of months, it's not good, right? The machine's got to keep going. It'll become more efficient when you, just like if you warm up the car and it's cold, the first 10 minutes it's cold, but then it gets more efficient. Same with the body. The more consistently you are exercising, ideally minimum every other day, um, your body's insulin sensitivity increases. So your insulin, if you work out Monday, you'll still have an improved insulin sensitivity on Tuesday, but you won't have improved insulin sensitivity Wednesday or Thursday, okay? So that's why I tell patients, work out at least every other day, if not every day, because then you work out today and you need less insulin and you need less insulin tomorrow, right? So yeah. cool. Yeah, and uh, I think you and I are both big fans of of the squat, like lunges and squats, using those big, big muscles yeah. those big muscles. And that's what I tell patients to do one minute of squats if your sugar level's high. Because like right now, I can't like leave our, our talk and, and go do squats. I mean, I could, but um, <laughs> I could. We'll go but, with you. <laughs> yeah, right? we can do it. Let's do it. Let's do 10 squats right now. Let's do it. So because my point is, if I have insulin in my body, and I you just saw me, I just gave insulin in my body, guess what makes that insulin work faster and stronger? Boom. As soon as I start moving that 135, I want to be below 100, right? I'm 135. I'm 137 right now. I want to be below 100. Now, 137 in the, in the big picture of diabetes is, is most people will be like, she, that lady thinks that's high. And they'll be like, yeah, I think that's high. 99% of type ones will be like, that's a great number. I have some patients mm -hmm. who never even get below 150, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this is, again, this is my little straight A high achiever coming out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'll just, you know, do about 10 squats, three, four, five, six, maybe jump, eight, nine, 10. Now, obviously I would do it a little bit longer if I wasn't doing an interview, but you know, I already, I already just allowed that little bit of insulin I gave to work faster. It, just with that, just with a little bit of movement. So I'm always telling people, be empowered. You know, high damp, high blood sugars are not good for the body. So make them come down faster with exercise and getting good sleep. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I once heard you speak on how much you protect your sleep, like how much you guard it. You know, nobody's going to mess with your sleep, that kind of mentality. Can, yeah. can you talk about that? Because I think, I mean, in my practice, um, even like in type 1 diabetics and in type 2 diabetics, I mean, I see that being the first thing that is kind of shaved off their wellness or health approach. Like everybody um, tries to budget from somewhere in their life um, because mm. of being busy or what have you. But when I heard you speak about what you, how important sleep is to you, um, I was just really, it, it really stuck with me. So I'd love just to kind of hear you talk about that. Well, frankly, I'm surprised that everybody doesn't feel this way. But if I don't get good sleep... <laughs> The next day, I'm just, I hate it. I hate all day. I don't, I don't, I just don't feel good. And so I, you know, I, maybe some other people are more resilient, 
you know, the people that are like, yeah, I get four hours of sleep and I feel great. Well, not me. I want eight. I don't even want seven. I want eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. nine, maybe nine. So uh, the first thing, if people are, a lot of people's sleep are, is interrupted simply because their blood sugar meter is going off, right? And their blood sugar levels, they're having lows and highs. Well, I can certainly help that, right? We need to get you not having highs and lows when you sleep. Um, but if you're just staying up late, I, you know, I have to work individually on how to get somebody to go. I have to find out what their motivation is, what their daily habits are, what, what, what's important to them. How can we frame it to make it a priority if they're not seen as a priority? How can we help them simplify so they can get to bed earlier? I mean, it's, it's definitely an individualized, as you, you know, I mean, us with, as naturopaths, we're always looking for the individual approach, but um, mm-hmm. it's a powerful medicine. We, we are incredibly complex machine with trillions of cells and they need to recover every night. Sleep is not, you know, just this doing nothing activity. Our cells are incredibly busy regenerating our cells. And, you know, you can, lack of sleep can be used as torture and can cause death, you know, <laughs> if you don't sleep, you didn't sleep for a month. I think you'd die. I think that I can't, I don't know what the mechanism is, but something like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, I think the hormonal aspect of it alone is, you know, so tremendous. I learned last week and I didn't know this, that, um, like hormones like testosterone, which, you know, helps preserve lean muscle mass is released in uh, the latter part of your night's sleep. So so if you're getting, you know, only one or two cycles, you might be reducing the amount of testosterone release or hormonal hormonal balance, which is, you know, obviously really important if we're talking about blood glucose is to preserve the muscle mass and have that sink for glucose to go into. For sure. For sure. So the, um, you know, I guess there, I'd just like to spend just a brief moment before we wrap up today, just hearing a little bit about um, some things that you're excited about in this space as far as like either new medications or new therapies or new approaches. You already talked about sort of how the insulin pump is starting to get a little smarter. Um, but uh, anything else in the space that you're, you're excited about that you might start incorporating? Uh, there's there's faster insulins, like the rapid that I talked about, the rapid that I just gave, you know, I gave it, what, five minutes ago? And guess what? There's no way this is, I mean, I'm still the same number. These are not, they're called rapid insulins, but they're not fast. This won't take full effect for an hour. Now, if I go exercise, it'll take full effect faster. So it's a little frustrating when you're high right now and you want to come down right now, it's actually going to take 30 to 60 minutes. <laughs> and the higher you are, the longer. If you're 300, that will take hours. So there's these faster insulins, but they're like minutes faster. Not very fast, you know. But there is an inhaled insulin. I actually haven't gotten my hands on it, but there's an inhaled insulin. Mm-hmm. The dosing is not very precise, but some patients have told me that they have used it for, hey, I want to fudge brownie Sunday. It's my birthday. And I'm going to, you know, you inhale it and gets into your bloodstream really fast. Or if you already are, happen to be two or 300 because, you, you know, who knows why. 
Um, so I'm encouraging anybody to ask, because I don't prescribe, I can't prescribe as a virtual consultant. I act as a consultant for all my patients. I don't become their doctor. I can't mm -hmm. legally since I'm virtual. So um, I always have to tell my patients, go to your prescribing physician and ask for this inhaled insulin, a Frezza. Um, Cause it's a great tool to have. Diabetes is hard. Everybody's going to have highs sometimes. Everybody wants a fudge brownie Sunday sometimes. So why not? Or if your sweet is not your thing, then, you know, pizza or pasta. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be nice to have an insulin that works really quickly. Um, this CGM, um, I have a, a little thing on my lower back that is Bluetooth talking to this, right? And it's kind of big but the next generation is supposed to be much smaller, like a dime, like a small dime or a quarter or something. And Cause a lot of people don't wanna be attached to things. And if you have these big things attached to you, like I have to work with a lot of my teenagers to say, you know, it's getting smaller, so that's good. Yeah. Um, and just smarter, these smarter closed loop pumps. And a closed loop pump is the, the insulin pump that's attached to you, but then communicates with this. And then this tells the pump to turn on and turn off. There's, they're still working on making that even more accurate, more refined, more powerful. Um, but you know, I have an article dated 1983. I was 10 that says there'll be a cure for diabetes in five years. And mm. you know, so in terms of a cure. I, I get a little burnt out hearing about what the latest and greatest is. <laughs> right. Yeah. But having said that, um, they're studying, you know, they can make an unlimited amount of beta cells now from stem cells. There's a company in San Diego working on trying to encapsulate the beta cells. And then all you have to do is insert them under the skin. And then apparently they can read the blood sugar and deliver insulin. But are they going to last? How long are they? You know, you don't have to be on immunosuppressants if they're encapsulated. So that'd be cool. Um, you know, we're all hoping for a cure, but it, it still doesn't seem like it's going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about what you're up to um, with your virtual consulting practice and anything that you'd like to share with us about that, how people can get involved with that. Absolutely. And then um, maybe some parting words. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, first of all, if you are struggling with type one, or if you know anybody that's struggling with type one, I would love to be connected with them because I literally am on a mission in life to help as many type ones as I can. I, I just see the devastation of crazy blood sugar levels and feeling overwhelmed out there. And I'm here to make a difference. So I would love, love, love anybody that has type one to reach out to me. Um, my, you can just send an email to info at Dr. Jody ND, and you can see the website right there. But on, I have three major offerings. Um, one is my private program. It's a three-month program. We have calls. We have group calls. We've got training videos. And, you know, um, my goal is that you will be the most empowered and happy type one that you've ever been after the three months is over. <laughs> I've had people that have had type one for 40 years tell me that they learned more in my three-month program than they did in 40 years, right? That's awesome. Um, but I also have a lot of newly diagnosed 
and especially if you're newly diagnosed, come to me ASAP because I would love to put you on my beta cell preservation protocol. Um, that's pretty essential. So that is um, a life-changing program. It's a three-month private intensive with me, and that link is on my website. Um, if you're looking for something more community-based and not as big of a you know financial investment, um, I've built a membership program. It's called the Type 1 Diabetes Crew, and it's it's the most valuable community and training that I can imagine that I can create. It's a 30 minute live video with me doing training, answering questions. It's like having a 30 minute appointment with your doctor and a bunch of other patients that totally understand you and get you anytime you want. If you want to watch one of them a month, you'll get the value. You can watch them every week. You can watch them whenever you want because there are always, the recordings are always there. So it's like a community it's empowering, it's education, and it's, you know, there's no private involved, but it's totally affordable. It's a monthly um, program. And we're launching that again. I only launch it a few times a year. There's a wait list sign up on my website. So go to my website and sign up for the wait list. And we're launching it again, um, well, in a few weeks. So that's, that's a great program. And then if you just are a great self-starter, and you want content that you can watch again and again, um, my online courses, and again, those are on my website. You just click on learn. And um, there's three main courses and they contain every bit of information that I want every type one or every health professional that's taking care of a type one to know. There's one called how to avoid the roller coaster, uh, proper mealtime dosing, and uh, master your blood sugar with exercise. Each course takes two hours to get through. They're only $77 each. And I think the value is priceless, life-changing. Yeah. So um, those are the three offerings I provide. All three links are on my website. And I would love to be connected with anybody you know that has type 1. Or if you have type 1, I'm here to help. That's awesome. Thank you. So, so amazing what you've built. I'm Imagine it's taken so, been so much work, but also so much reward for you personally. It's so, um, a gift for sure to be able to offer what I do. Yeah, I and I, I like I said, I started virtual way before COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So now, uh, now that we're all comfortable with Zoom for the most part, and you know, becoming more comfortable. You know, it's it's such a great time for people to to tap into these resources and learn, and um, you know, to have access to someone like you. You know, like whereas in the past you would you'd be serving just your community, you know, your local community, and now people from all over the world get access to this great information and in your inspiration. Yeah. That's what I really, you know, kind of sense with talking with you is just that because you you've lived this you know it just what you say just really rings true and um it just really it's really solid so thank you for um being with us um i was wondering if there'd be any kind of parting words you'd give us before we wrap up today well anything we can manage with the right support and education no matter what challenge you have health-wise and I also bring in, you know, trusting the process, focusing on learning lessons, 
you know, we all have health challenges. Nobody gets out of this lifetime without health challenges. And I always try to start there with people because I want us to see whatever challenges we have as, you know, maybe happen for a reason or, you know, but I just want to empower people to believe in themselves and to trust the process and to get help and not feel devastated and not feel, I mean, I, some patients get devastated when they get health conditions and other people say, this was the best thing that ever happened to me because it gave me a different perspective in life. So I always try to help people take the, the, the high road with that. Um, it's hard to improve your diabetes if you think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I approach, you know, I approach life that way. It's like, let's look at everything as, you know, how can we become the best version of ourselves with given our challenges instead of the other way around. That's wise words. So thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Um, and thank you for everybody who tuned in today and, uh, you know, for sharing this time with us. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the One Thing podcast. Thanks, Dr. Adam. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from the forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with us.